Adventures cast is part of the Fire and Water Network. <laughs> Come on, let's do it. Let's go get a justice of the peace. Better yet, let's wet it cheers. The bar? It's ideal. Right there in front of our dearest friends who've been witness to our love, seen the good oh. times and the bad times, shared our joys and sorrows. How perfect. Those dear souls will share our moment of ultimate joy. Better still, why don't we have them over right here? We'll do it right here. Oh, I don't want those people in my house. <laughs> you want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheers Cast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly and joining me for this milestone episode, the season finale of Cheers' fifth year, I have two wonderful guests. The first up was with me from the beginning when we discussed the pilot episode. Longtime friend of the pod, welcome back, Omar Yudin. What's up, Omar? Hey, Ryan. Nice to be here. Thank you for coming back. Uh, and next, a brand new guest making his first appearance on Cheers Cast, but he's no stranger to podcasting or the Fire and Water Network. One of the hosts of the Fan Holes Podcast Network, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek Crab. What's up, Derek? Hey, man. What's up? Thanks for having me. Being being invited on the show, it makes me feel all squishy inside. <laughs> squishy. What a wonderful word. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, this, this is a big one. This is not just any season finale. This is kind of almost the, the halfway point in the life of Cheers and the finale for the main character or one of the main characters. Uh, we're going to get to that, but before we do, Derek, I mentioned it's your first time on the podcast. So you get the origin story question, how and when did Cheers come into your life? And well, I'll ask later why you why you why you picked this episode so many years ago that you you talked to me about it. But I feel like maybe I'm a I'm a basic bitch when it comes to Cheers. I don't know, like I because I I was trying to look into it. Like this this is my distinct memory is I watched Cheers when it was airing on NBC. But my distinct memory is I always felt like the Woody episodes were more familiar to me than the coach episodes. <laughs> so I was looking at it and I'm kind of like, oh, well, I, I see. OK, Woody joined in season four. It had this huge bump of viewers like around season four. And, and I feel like the coach episodes I would watch on like, I don't know, TBS or something like catch the the reruns or the weekly, you know, when, when it was like Monday through Friday on some kind of weekly channel. But then I kept up with it in real time on Thursdays. And I'm guessing, again, the same thing, kind of basic, right? I was looking at it like this aired around, you know, the same time as Family Ties and the Cosby show and the whole, you know, must-see Thursday. So I'm, I'm assuming I was at some point, probably, I feel like I knew about it in second grade, which would put it before Woody, like, you know, in the early episodes of Coach. So I probably must have seen episodes of Cheers. But I think I think I was like watching it on the regular, like by the time I was in fourth grade, which would have put it in that that Woody season where I was just watching it consistently and sort of religiously and then, you know, catching up with the syndicated shows like anything that I missed, because that was I mean, I guess that's my distinct memory of it. And I think, you know, I don't know, just coming from an acting background, I think the whole setup of the show spoke to me, you know, just the, the you know, live studio audience, the whole kind of, you know, I guess, you know, what most people refer to as, you know, kind of like little one act plays like mm -hmm. that whole kind of thing. So I think, uh, you know, it, it was something I did at an early age, but I think even unconsciously, I sort of 
appreciated that and respected that, even though maybe I didn't know everything that went into it, you know, until later. Cool. Cool. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, must-see TV lineup, and and I we, we this is something that we've sort of mentioned before because my first kind of awareness of really watching TV like with my family all together was right at this period um, because for this season, at least for most of the season, it was the Cosby Show, Family Ties, Cheers, yeah. and Night Court. Uh, right at the end of this season, Night Court got moved. So Night Court, I don't think, would have been following this episode. Night Court got moved to a different day. And I think earlier this year, Hill Street Blues was the the primetime drama show that would have either moved or ended and was followed by L.A. Law. But no kidding, Omar, we talked about when you were on the very first episode how nobody was watching Cheers in the beginning. Um, it, it, was, ranked, it was the it very... ranked like close to the bottom in the Nielsen ratings. I mean, like yeah. its ratings were like absolutely pathetic. I mean, it was on the bubble. And, you know, you know better than I, Ryan, but like legend has it that the only thing that saved it, uh, the two things, and one of which is quite relevant for this episode, one of which was, you know, the the critical and industry acclaim that Shelley Long got for her performance. I think she won the Emmy that year. And the fact that the president of NBC, Brandon Tartikoff, just really liked the show. Yeah, and according to some legends, it was his wife who basically like threatened. He's like, "You you can't cancel that show." Um, yeah. According according to some perhaps apocryphal tales, um, but by this season, in large part because of the Cosby Show and Family Ties lead in for season five, Cheers was consistently the third highest rated show on the network or or in its time slot until this very episode. For the first time, Cheers was number one because of this finale episode. Um, so let's get to it. Uh, this is season five, episode 26, I Do Adieu, written by the series creators Glenn Charles and Les Charles and directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, May 7th, 1987. <clears throat> Sumner Sloan, Diane's former lover and grad school professor who dumped her at Cheers five years ago, returns after hearing that she's engaged to Sam. Sumner reveals that he shared one of Diane's unpublished novels with an editor who is interested in publishing it if Diane were to finish it. Sam overhears Diane's conversation with Sumner and gets nervous that her life at Cheers has held her back from pursuing her dream. To prove that she no longer cares about becoming a published author, Diane suggests that they get married that night at Cheers. While the rest of the bar takes bets on whether or not the couple goes through with it, Woody interrupts the ceremony to tell Diane that the publisher has agreed to publish her novel upon completion. With this news, Sam convinces Diane they should postpone their wedding until after she finishes the book. Diane moves to Maine to write, fully intending to return to Sam in six months' time. But as he watches her walk up the steps, Sam knows in his heart she won't be coming back. All righty. Derek, first-time guest, uh, you called this one a long time ago. You, you said, if I'm ever on Cheerscast, I want to be on uh, th- this episode. So why is that? Why did you want this one so badly? I, I did, and, and then I, I sort of want to preface this with 
the whole Superman two thing. Like I never thought this thing would go the distance, Ryan. So <laughs> it's awesome that we're here and we're talking about it because I, I wasn't sure that I expected it to go the distance. Um, so I sort of feel like uh, this is for Shag. I sort of feel like Ham Tyler telling uh, Ruby my story or whatever. But <laughs> this is all this is all like I, I feel like sort of weird because this episode means a lot to me for personal reasons i guess like i know that's like a weird thing to say but like i i'm probably that dude that you guys are all uh afraid of that learned about relationships by watching cheers like because because <laughs> like i was you know like i'm talking about like second grade third grade fourth grade like i paid attention to this stuff and i think you know probably somewhere in the twisted recesses of the back of my head i was kind of like oh like you can you could be mad at people but still really like them or be passionate like that's that's you know whether it's like sam and diane or han and leia or like uh, moonlighting or whatever like there were these things that i sort of keyed in on you know and especially the sam and diane thing and i kind of feel like and this sort of ties into like all my acting experience as well but like i i sort of feel like i had my own diane in my life at a very young age where there was I, I don't know I'm, I'm I'm trying to like protect the names of the innocent or whatever but you know I was like if 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 my Diane was this girl in uh you know grade school called Madame Mirage and Madame Mirage was very very bright smart girl who went on to become the valedictorian of her class like very Diane and and kind of like me and her did clash kind of in the same way but then like she did things that I thought were cool because I remember we had you know, in school we had, uh, you know, the, the girls would play tetherball and the guys would go to this wall and it'd kind of be like um, racquetball, but racquetball with your hands and you just call it hardball and it'd be like one of these dodgeballs and you could do different things with the, the game. Like it wouldn't always be hardball. Like you could say, oh, I'm playing hardball with shuttles, which meant you could throw it up in the air or I could play hardball with bubbles, which meant you could bubble the ball and then hit it or whatever. And she was the first girl to like break that mold and get in the line with all the other boys. And everybody was like, what the hell is she doing? You know what I mean? Like it was a total like faux pas back then. And and she got in the line. She got up. The guy who was kind of the ringleader of the whole thing just went hard, hit the ball and bounced her right out. But she kept coming back. And before you know it, all the girls came in and, you know, eventually they would beat out one of the you know guys and then they would be in charge so then when a girl came up in line it'd be like okay we'll play easies and i'll teach you how to play this and then it kind of went on from there so th this person was kind of a constant presence in my life and i guess tying it into the cheers episode the thing that had emotional resonance with me is the scenes with sam and diane when sam is kind of fantasizing he's he's dreaming what it's going to be like to be married to diane for like you know, 60 years or whatever, and you have them in all the old age makeup or whatever. And I wasn't in old age makeup, but I was in some school play, same school, same environment or whatever, where I was some crazy wild TV cameraman. And I remember my mom teased up my hair and I was wearing some crazy Hawaiian shirt or whatever. And I was just supposed to come on and do a big song number and everything like that. But the, the Diane, you know, um, was like part of this elderly couple but of course it's this kind of ridiculous thing where it's like you know these kids were all 
you know, eight and nine years old, but these two kids are dressed up as like an old elderly couple, just like Sam and Diane. So I have this memory of her in like old age makeup at eight years old. That's like super prominent in my mind. And I think, I don't know, this is all again, personal stuff. So if people aren't interested in it, I'm sorry, but that that's kind of why this episode means the most to me is just when, when I see Sam and Diane together in that old age makeup, it makes me think of things when I was young like that and thought of things, you know, I don't know when you're, I don't know for me, when you're young and naive and you kind of just have thoughts of like, Oh, I wonder what it'd be like if I, if I got married to this person, or I wonder what it would be like, you know, 50 years from now, like, and you, you create this imaginary fantasy scenario. It's like, it's like all of his friends are back and they're all older too. Do you know what I mean? Like they, they, and, and, and this notion of, you know, maybe Woody's inherited the bar at this point, which of course, you know, given what's coming, like that's very different than how it all turns out. Maybe, you know, Right. six seasons down the road but this is this is like a snapshot of you know his uh i don't know whatever happened to the man of tomorrow moment you know he's got the little plant on sam malone's chest and he's thinking like oh i would th- this is what would be my my happy place or my happy spot and yeah. and 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 also i guess in that same vein you know maybe i picked an easy one too because i think with comedy shows and even talking about music on podcasts i always feel self-conscious like i don't know how to articulate that that you know i can tell you yes this thing made me laugh or yes this music resonates with me but maybe i don't always have the right vocabulary to communicate that over a podcast and i i think for this since it's so dramatic in a sense, which is very divergent, I think. I mean, there certainly there's there's moments in this where, you know, things are funny, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they touch you, they touch that chord in you that just makes you guffaw and laugh and and hits that sweet spot. But I think a lot of that humor in Cheers comes from that centered truth, you know, like the truth of of the scenario or the situation or that truth that you feel in your gut, and that's why the jokes and cheers are so funny because it comes from a place where either you've lived it, you felt it, you breathed it, you know, like that kind of thing. And, and, and it just kind of makes you laugh, but then kind of the, the, the tragedy of this, you know, the, the, the being ripped away from it too. Like, I, I guess, you know, that just always, you know, spoke to me. And I, I, I know when you had mentioned, you know, Oh, do, do you want to be on cheers cast? Like, I'd love to have you on or whatever. And, and is there any episode that you like? That's why I, I mean, this, this is the episode I remember the most, like, like I liked watching cheers and I usually would watch it and laugh my ass off. But if you asked me, like, what episode did I keep close to my heart or what episode did I remember the most? I I think it's this just because of sort of the I guess if if Cheers, I don't know, in second grade taught me that, uh, you know, you you could be passionate, but also get into heated arguments with somebody that you loved or whatever. This also taught me that, you know, maybe sometimes (laughs) as passionate as you are, you know, maybe sometimes those things aren't meant to be you know and and yes. so that's and and it's sad but it's like that's that's the kind of i guess meaning this this had for me like i would always go back to it it remind me of certain people in my life and and even later things which maybe i'll i'll get into a little later but just later uh influences that this had you know on me all right omar follow that yeah um <laughs> you know even if my affinity for this episode isn't quite as personal 
it is still rooted in, you know, in, in its overall significance, which is that, uh, you know, there are, there might be, there are certainly funnier episodes of Cheers. Okay. And, you know, you could, but, but I don't think that there are any episodes that are quite as important. I guess, you know, you could make the argument that the one that follows this, the one that kicks off season six, Home is the Sailor, is, might be as important, if not more important, um, because it has to establish a whole new thing. But it is precisely because it is establishing a whole new thing, a whole new dynamic for not only Sam, but also the show that makes this an episode really worth diving into because it really represents endings in a lot of ways, not just, you know, the end of a storyline, a long running storyline of five seasons and not just the end of one of the great uh, comedic runs uh, in TV uh, of all time. Uh, and, and that's how I feel about Shelley Long's work on the show. But it represents an ending of a theory of the case uh, for Cheers for those first five seasons. It's lifeblood. Um, and the fact that after this episode, they had to throw it all out and start from scratch. Um, the entire sort of premise of the show. Mm -hmm. um, it really is a critical pivot point. And, and I think that it is probably the most emotional episode of the show because of that, because it represents endings in so many different ways. I think because it, it draws out probably the best performances of the two leads. And from a character standpoint, it gives you so many big and small moments that combine to epitomize their core character, the core characteristic of why we love Sam and why we love Diane and all the things that make us think about them and laugh and think about them and, and get pissed off. Um, so, so it's, it's really an enormous pivot point, uh, an episode of enormous consequence and significance. Uh, the show would never be as dramatic uh, after this episode. It would have quiet moments of drama. It would have, you know, like shoved in there, but it really had to tear everything down and start up again. Um, and and I, I think it was the right moment, the right time. But you you feel five seasons worth of storylines centered around the very basic elementary premise of boy meets girl. Uh, boy slowly figures out that he likes girl and vice versa. Boy and girl fight and like stumble on their way into falling each other's arms boy and girl continue to fight and have growing pains and boy and girl, like over the course of uh, those five seasons, you know, slowly and alternately slowly and quickly realize that like they are fundamentally incompatible and yet they love each other anyway. Um, and all of that comes to a head uh, at this point in this, in this particular episode. Um, and I think because of its consequence, both dramatically from a story point, from a character standpoint, uh, and from the standpoint of the acting, which I don't think has ever been as good and will never be as good. And that's saying something because you have, you know, basically the equivalent of the 1927 Yankees when you're talking about the cast of Cheers and all the things they could do and all the things they brought, uh, all the things they brought to the table. Um, but because you're never going to have uh, a show quite this dramatic, um, characters that are quite, you know, this nakedly exposed creatively. I think it's 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 an episode that always resonates with me because it has such lasting significance, both on and off the stage. 
Yeah, and we we need to start getting into the episode, but even before talking about the the details, um just before we start recording this, I actually I watched the season 6 premiere again just because I I wanted to find out if there were actually any like technical mentions of things going on and everything. And more than anything, kind of like for the first time, I saw that episode almost as a soft reboot. Yeah. And I think, Omar, you were kind of getting to that point a little bit, that this isn't just any season finale. This one is very much like the end of a version of Cheers. And I I talked about this a little bit with Isabel, my guest, on the previous episode where Sam and Diane buy this house, which is such a weird thing to do, considering the creators knew the, the trajectory of this relationship. They knew that Shelley Long wanted out. They may have been trying to keep her, but why are you ending the series with this couple headed towards the altar, buying a house, which is such a fixture of permanence? And that episode felt very much like what could have been a backdoor pilot or a spinoff for the Malones, the Sam and Diane show. Um, a, a domestic romantic comedy about this, like this family and their life outside of, of the bar. Because as I've been sort of navigating this season and my thinking that this couple ultimately does not belong together, when you see them, you know, sort of like as doomed as they might have been plunging towards the altar, there were all these little glimpses and these little flashes where it's like, okay, I can see the world that exists where this couple does work and they, they make it last, but that world is a different show and that world doesn't have enough room for the Diane character to stay at the bar. And if Diane is not at the bar, then we, the audience are not at the bar. So I think ultimately her decision to leave was necessary to save the premise, the the other premise of the show, which is just like this bar where everybody knows your name and and this sort of ensemble character piece about the people who live and work at this place. One hundred percent, a family comedy where they're not actually family members, but they just they they feel like that. Well, one hundred percent. And before we just you know, I just would quickly say that you're absolutely right. And I would say the only other alternative that they would have had, you know, absent that, was to just sort of you know, if she was coming back. And to have her, you know, integrated into the show fully would still be to sort of redo each subsequent season where she and Sam are go through the same kind of growing pains and misunderstandings and will they, won't they. And, and honest to God, you just can't do that after, you know, five years. I think the point that they were at, you had reached the limit. You had creatively exhausted, you know, the point, of, I would say, the audience's interest, the audience's investment. Anything more I felt would have been severely diminishing returns. And I'm sure there was probably a little bit of grumbling at the margins of audience members. Um, You know, by the time you got to season four and five of the will they or won't they dynamic, but to end it when they did was absolutely the right thing. As much of a loss as it was for precisely the reason that you, that you lay out. Right. Okay. We will, we'll talk more about the, the sort of the the tragic nature and, and all that fallout as we go through this. Um, But 
taking the episode uh, through its paces. First, I noticed um, Shelley Long is the one who says Cheers is filmed before a live studio audience in this episode. I thought that was a nice touch that they gave her that. So Sam is in his office and Carla walks in. She's got three questions for him. The first one is having do they need to fix the ball return on the pool table. This actually sets up something for later in the episode. They rarely did that, but it was a nice little touch. Um, she asks how much vermouth they need to order for the next week, and he's like, eh, just an extra case. And then she's very pleadingly you're like why why sammy why are you going through with this wedding and he's like i don't know and he's like well you know why did you marry he's like you can't explain these love stories and everything why did you marry nick this <laughs> terrible husband and carla you know confides in him she's like you know it's a it's a terrible secret i swear swear sam to secrecy but she mentions that nick made her feel all squishy and Sam kind of just has this smile on his face. He's like, yeah, that's how Diane makes me feel. And immediately, perfectly, Carla turns on him. <laughs> she just set him up to fail. And she's like, oh, that's disgusting. And and he's like, well, you said it first. And she's like, no, no, I was lying to you. I married Nick because he knocked me up. And she goes to the door. And you can see Sam is terrified. And he's so embarrassed. He's like hiding from the gang. As Carla shouts out to the bar that Diane makes Sam feel all squishy. And you hear the hollers from Norman Cliff. And uh, Sam is like thinking, like, I have to find a set. I have to dig a second hole to get out of this bar. I can't go out there. And then Diane just comes in through the door with like, oh, squishy. And he has to hide under the under the desk. One of my favorite teasers in the entire series. I love that. What did you guys think about the opening? Carla's like, ew, you know, and she's all, <laughs> and then, and then, and then you know where she's going. She's going right outside to tell everybody. And he's like, no, 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 don't tell everybody. And then, and then, of course, everyone hears. And then, like you say, he wants to just hide in a deep, dark hole. But then, perfectly, like she comes in, it's like, oh, squishy. And it's like, oh, God damn it. You know, like, I, like <laughs> she's going to hold that over for him forever. Yeah. There, there yeah, is like, no, there is no Sam alone quite like flustered Sam alone. <laughs> Mr. Cool, but when he actually loses his cool, then it's yeah, it's something else. Um, then after our opening credits, we get the third appearance of Sumner from the from who was previously in the very first episode and then made a comeback in the second season. Uh, and I, I, I love whenever we see Sumner. He's just like one of my favorite, just like sort of semi-recurring characters, um, played by Michael McGuire. And this is the, his first interaction with Woody, which is just like, you, you love to see something like this, a character like him. Um, he comes in, introduces himself as Dr. Sumner Sloan, and he's looking for Diane. So Woody's like, assumes he's a medical doctor. He's like, is she sick? He's like, no, no. And he says that he uh, works in the literature department of BU, where he occupies a chair. Of course, he thinks he's like, hey, that's all I did in school, too. <laughs> and you see you see a little part of Sumner behind his eyes, maybe just like this flash of death or something where he's just like, oh, God, like I I, I kind of wonder, like, God, there, there's a joke later on in one of the later episodes where somebody is meeting Woody for the first time. And he's like, you must be coach's boy or something like that. And I feel like if Sumner had known Coach a little bit better, maybe would have made the same conclusion. And then Cliff recognizes Sumner, um, which is interesting that Frazier has heard the story about Sumner dumping Diane, but they don't know each other personally because they kind of recap that and establish it for the audience. And Cliff is like, yeah, poor little Diane left on our doorstep in need of shelter from life's storm. I thought the put down of Frazier was unbelievable, <laughs> just by his indifference and not knowing who he was and how obviously wounded Frazier was. 
was by that. Just the timing in that exchange was 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 fantastic. Uh, perhaps you've heard of me. He's like, not until this moment. <laughs> when he when he stumbles off and is like, I, I forget what he says, but he says something about like, well, the the, the it's open the award of uh, biggest jackass in the bar or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, like basically. And it's like you you're just kind of like it, it's funny how how and then later too, I think he's like, is there is there anyone in this bar you haven't been engaged to, you know? And you're you're just like sitting there going, oh, like I mean, if you don't know any better, right? If you haven't, you know who it's not like they expected people to remember that Sumner was in that first episode if the ratings were as low as you're talking about. Right. But it it works on three levels because you're like, Oh, well she's talking about, you know, Oh, he, she's getting you know, she's engaged to Sam. And then you have the callback. If you've been watching the show long enough, she was engaged to Frazier. And if you've really been watching the show (laughs) long enough, she was engaged to Sumner at the very beginning. So you're like, Oh, you know, it's the trifecta of engagement, you know, like where you're like, Oh, okay. He's, he's talking about everything that's happened to this point. And then it's also kind of, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Like something like this, like kind of giving it, it's full sense of history and full scope, but you, you don't necessarily have to have been on it the whole time. But if you, if you know all those details, it, it just makes it that much more uh, rich and, and, and uh, full of a sort of a joke, right? Like, because it's, yeah. it works on those multiple levels. And, and let us not forget from that, that exchange, Cliff and Norm <laughs> reminiscing about how long ago it was the first time they met Sumner and the realization that they were pretty much doing the same thing they are now. (laughs) He's like, as I recall, I was sitting here drinking a beer, and you were talking, and I was wishing you would shut up. And Cliff's like, good memory. (laughs) 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 Uh, I I wish the the embarrassment of riches with cheers, like the one thought is I wish there was more, but I kind of wish we could have had more of a scene between Sumner and Frasier, because I remember like talking about it when Frasier, the character, was introduced, and how ostensibly he could have been a new Sumner type of character uh, in terms of him being an obvious foil for Sam and the way that was set up at the beginning with Frasier being a romantic rival for Diane in season three. Um, But they went the opposite way of actually making Frasier really likable and, and sweet in his own way. And he ends up becoming one of the most beloved characters, not just in Cheers, but in all of television, really. Well, they just drag him down to their level, as you have said in the past. <laughs> yeah, they do a well, good job of it. The gravity well of Cheers is is quite strong. And Sumner even mentions that, you know, he, like, he, like Sam has cast a spell on Diane that even somebody of his considerable charms can't break or something to that. I guess it's worth mentioning since, since uh, I don't know if I'll ever have the chance to to brag about this later, but um, uh, I, I I can say that uh, while I've never seen an episode of Cheers recorded live, I have seen an episode of Frasier recorded live. I oh, remember cool. when, yeah, when I first when I first went out to Loyola Marymount, you know, we were all in L.A. and everything, and so of course we're all all these acting classes, and everybody's like, oh yeah, you got to see a show, you got to see a, something live, like it's going to be great. And and somebody was able to get a bunch of us in to see Frasier, and I, I it was like I think it was like Frasier, and then uh, what was that show? I'm trying to remember that I, I think we, we got to see two two shows or something and it was Frasier and it was like this one season show that was on Fox. I can't even think of it now, but like Ernest Borgnine was like the bellhop or whatever. And I can't even 
I can't even think of it. It was some sitcom on Fox that probably lasted a season or whatever. But Derek, we got to are watch... you suggesting? Are you suggesting that Frasier was not shot in Seattle, but rather some <laughs> soundstage in Los Angeles? I am shocked, sir. Be, be still, be still, my beating heart. Um, but, but, um, no, no, no. I, I took a bus all the way to Seattle, and we saw I got there. Um, no, but, um, but uh, we, 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 so we all, we all got to see the show. And I guess uh, the, the thing that that struck me the most about it was, well, one. Uh, you know, being involved in the craft heavily, then it was like you could tell. And this this wasn't this is not an indictment. This is Frazier's the lead and he has all the dialogue in all the scenes. And, and they're shooting like probably, you know, multiple episodes throughout the course of a week or whatever it is. Right. And so you, you could tell like you, there were moments where he would get flustered, but then he would pick up where he left off. So there were, there were lots of things where he was like in the middle of something and he would crack jokes when he basically messed up and he would roll with it, but he would also kind of, you know, be mad at himself and like curse himself. Like when, when things went off the rails and everything. So it was like, it was fun to watch it, but it wasn't, you know, sometimes when you watch somebody and, and, and you're in a, I don't know, uh, an acting class and somebody goes off the rails and they're like line, 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 and they get more and more frustrated. It's almost like you, you pity them. Right. But in, in, in that context, like he made it fun for the like entire audience. And there was this great moment where I, I, I think the, the whole point was you had to be, you know, over 18 or something to get in. Like, like they, they you couldn't, allow somebody who was a child basically sure, that, yeah. that was part of the rules but they, they they had a family there something where uh they were like oh well my you know i don't know my 12 year old daughter like she would have really liked to be here but because she couldn't be here or whatever and so they they call up the daughter and um and and so uh he comes over to the phone and says hello to her and and the whole thing right and like makes her day and everything so it was like that i don't know like like that that was just a fun experience cuz you uh i don't know it it just it, you know again it made me feel squishy you know what i mean like the whole <laughs> the whole thing right where you're just like oh this is this is sweet what he's doing and even when you know so, some of the things are going off the rails like he's he's engaging with the audience and cracking jokes and, and, and all this other kind of stuff. So it doesn't, it, it's not pitiable. It's actually twice as entertaining. Do you know what I mean? And, and so you, 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 you understood why that was such a, you know, popular show, why Kelsey Grammer's like such a, you know, terrific actor and all that kind of stuff. So I, you know, again, just something I thought of on the fly, but I figured it's, it's worth mentioning while we're kind of extolling the, the praises of, of, you know, Frazier being, you know, somebody that was likable to the audience as opposed to being, you know, a, a Sumner-like character. Speaking of Sumner, this episode more than any, uh, like, has, like, so many of my runners up for my my favorite moment of the episode. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of introduce them as they go through. But one of my runners up is as Sumner is following Diane back to the pool room so they can have their private chat. Cliffy's like, hey, Sumner, do you remember us? And he looks at him and goes, how could I forget? Barney, Wally, Ed. <laughs> he just like looking at Norm Cliff and Woody and just calling them these three random names. And there's something so, again, like because Frazier has just called him like the pompous ass or something like that. And you just, yeah. you you know him and how snide and smug and superior Sumner is that he just kind of oozes this kind of behavior. But at the same time, 
like we know these characters we have lived with these characters for five years and they kind of like sort of like fall into the trap of thinking that because they're the characters on the television like like why would he remember them having like been there twice in the last five years why would he know their names like why would he I, i mean i think i think the great thing about that moment is not just the fact that he doesn't remember their names and and assigns them completely arbitrary names but i think my my favorite part of it is where he's like how could i forget you know like like how could it be possible you know like and it's just like that's the ultimate insult right and they're just kind of you know you know they don't know how to respond to that. They're just totally like, you know, blindsided by that. It's so good. Yeah. Um, so back in the, once they're, he's in the pool room with Diane, uh, he mentions that, you know, having discovered that she's engaged to, to, to Sam, he's wondering if he overestimated her, her qualities went back when he was engaged to her and they almost eloped. Um, so he decides to reread all of her work, every poem that she wrote, every, you know, like essay, all of these things. And he's like, and in typical Sumner fashion, like the, the language that he uses, he's like, it burned with your talent and I was singed. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he says that he showed one of her unfinished novels to a friend who was an editor and the guy, he's like, while he agrees that it was embryonic and immature, he loved it and and you see diane slowly coming over to it like when she's when she's flattered by this when she comes and she gets excited and again in typical diane fashion she gets in her little tunnel vision and she's like i knew it i knew that there was something special about that piece i've never been so alive as when i wrote that which one was it (laughs) perfect just like a perfect moment just and and like and to your point a minute ago about just his over the top statements and his like his tendency toward hyperbole it just reminded me of like the uh, a line he had in the pilot when uh, Diane let him go like re- reason with his wife to get her <laughs> ring or whatever I don't remember what it was but he like what what the reason was but he but he was so moved that like he grabbed her shoulders and said Diane your depth <laughs> frightens me. <laughs> <laughs> He is just so full of himself. Um, and he mentioned that the, the book that she wrote was called Yocasta's Conundrum, which <laughs> seems like a perfect thing that Diane would write. Um, but she's like, well, it's it's not finished. I haven't actually worked on that book in five years. And I, I think his line is something like, that's how long you've been interred in this tomb of thought. <laughs> Um, and again, like Omar, like as you were saying, like he he offers to let her stay in his cabin in Maine, and he says it's where I go to do my most profound thinking. <laughs> he is again. I, I'm sure that like more appearances by Summer Sto- Sloan, Summer Sloan would quickly have also been a matter of like diminishing returns. I think probably a little Sumner Sloan goes a long way, but oh man, does he slap every time he's on it, screen? Just like just the quiet. And not so quiet, like pompousness. And like, there's like five to 10% of him. And I don't know if it's like a little twinkle in his pretentious eye, whether you can't tell whether he's like messing around with you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just a brilliant performance, a brilliant performance by that actor. 
I, I still go back to the pilot episode, and I think he had my favorite line of the episode. It's when they're all talking about the sweatiest movie ever made, and like the whole gang, uh, like these blue collar barflies, are tossing out names. And Sumner comes back from one of his trips to see his wife, and Diane's like, "I've been sitting here listening to these people argue about sweaty, the sweatiest movie." And Sumner just tosses off Cool Hand Luke. Yep, yep. <laughs> they're like, "Hey, that might be." Like, yeah, like he he's a real master of timing too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he he has a line like he's like she's like no she's like I I'm not gonna write this book I I'm I'm gonna marry Sam and they have the whole talk about whether or not I mean she he sort of throws the the whole the whole kind of premise of the this episode as as kind of crazy as it is is can she be can she pursue a professional career in the sense of her creative endeavor being to write would be her job or does she stay home and become a domestic housewife with Sam and ostensibly raise her kids? And she's arguing that she can do both. He's perhaps more old fashioned kind of suggesting that, no, that's a fool's dream. Um, and he makes a joke or at the end as he's about to leave about her being behind the eight ball or saying like, she's got the eight ball in her hand. Um, sort of as she's in like the no win situation or, or at a disadvantage. I mean, okay, so it, we're now almost 40, 35 years removed from this. Does the actual crisis that Diane has put to hold up today, that it's it's Sam or her life as a writer, that it's one or the other, does that work? It It holds up for me only in as much as not from the standpoint of like how we conceive of gender roles and you know, theoretically, technically, she could certainly make it work. I'm sure she could have made it work in 1987. But I always, a substantial part of me always took it as you can't exist in this world as a wife to that person and like swim in these waters and like be a, be a writer. You, you can't. Like to me, and, and maybe this is a cheat, maybe this is a dodge, and like I'm open to that. Maybe it is just sort of rooted in, you know, just the lazy patriarchal stuff. And I'm I'm certainly open to that. But I, I also I also take it substantially as a comment on the the ecosystem that she w- that she had chosen to be in. Um and, and just the idea that like being a writer of the quality that she wanted to while being a wife to that man while being married to that man and being a part of this world is fundamentally incompatible. You know, I keep coming back to, and again, it's, it's, it's a lot of it is on the page, but most of it is in the performance when, you know, a minute or two before that, when she admits, when Diane admits that she didn't actually finish the story and then goes on to admit that she actually, she hadn't written much of anything in five years, the way her expression changed, the way it became kind of downcast and just kind of quiet and, you know, it was mixed in with like regret and probably a little, so a little and, like self-reproachful. Yeah. She was kind of, yeah, yeah. So, so, so maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm giving the, the writers a too much of a pass when it really should, we really should be more critical of the fact that, you know, this doesn't hold up and it was rooted in sort of the way we were thinking in the late eighties and it was not right then. And it's not right now, but like, I am willing to, from a broad creative standpoint, because so much of the essential conflict um, of the, of those first five seasons of the show is a fish out of water. Someone, you know, kind of swimming against the tide and well, no, I'm mixing my metaphors, but like a fish out of water, someone who's like not in the, her perceived correct perceived class. I took it 
from that standpoint that like you can't be here with him and be a serious writer if that makes sense well there, there's something to be said for the the class structure that that is supposed to be part of the comedy dynamic in this but there's also something to be said for the the class structure of of artist versus you know barfly i guess if for lack of a better term right and and if if you if you take the i mean if we're jumping a little ahead to the end he does try to relate to her on that level and and it's not as if um it's not as if being uh uh you know a ball player is is quote unquote artistic but there there is a level of of something that you have to completely and utterly devote yourself to something that that uh, you know a, a a famous career that can conceivably take precedence on uh, a pedestal above family and friends and all this other kind of stuff and i i i don't think that is dated i mean that's always gonna be true it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman i mean do, do you want to I, I don't know. For for me, I, I'm thinking of it in terms of if if you had artistic uh, aspirations, ideally, in in your ideal world, you will have achieved them before you meet the love of your life. I mean, most times, right? Or at least at least be on your way. You know, like like I I don't think anybody wants to be that person that's like trying to meet somebody, whether they're a man or a woman, and 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 have to lie about their success do you know what i mean i i'm sure diane would prefer it to be i am a successful novelist not i'm i'm working my way to it and then there's there's also the aspect that you guys are talking about where you know maybe being in that environment maybe being at cheers somehow kills that creativity or or maybe there's there's a sense of of she needs to have that separation like she she came to cheers for a reason right because there there were certain aspects where she felt um ejected from that class whether it was the artistic class or you know whatever we're talking about the the hoity toity echelon class you know and 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 the fact that she felt ejected from it and and came to find refuge at cheers you you would have to reject some of that. And now that some of that is coming back into her life saying, Hey, you might have a shot doing this. Yeah. Okay. You feel ashamed because you haven't, Oh, I haven't, you know, I guess, you know, it's, it makes me think of stuff. My old, you know, drama teachers used to say about, you know, a basketball player is always practicing. They're always shooting hoops. You don't stop, you know, you always have two or three, you know, monologues in your back pocket for auditions. You always have, you know, you, you always keep up your cold reading skills. You always keep up, you know, whatever it is you need to, to nail the role, to nail the audition. You don't just like ignore all that. Otherwise, just like everything else, you get stale. The minute you stop, you know, throwing pitches or shooting hoops or whatever the, the analogy is, that's when you get rusty. That's, that's when you lose, you know, talent is one thing, but, but, you know, refining the skill to hone that talent is another thing. And then just having the luck to have somebody come in and, and give you an opportunity and be able to 
take that opportunity when it knocks on your door. I mean, all those things have to converge. And I think later, I guess my, my point was later at the end, Sam's kind of trying to say, look, I, I had my shot where all those things converged. I did right. that. Like, I I don't have any it's not like somebody's coming and going, Hey, Sammy, do you, do you want to pitch for the Red Sox or Mary Diane? Like, cause, cause, and, and, and the question would be, do you, do you think that's like, like, w- would that be a consideration? And I think whether, you know, what, regardless of the gender, that would be a conflict and a consideration. It, it'd be like saying, dude, uh, you know, uh, Ryan, do you want to be a rock star and tour with kiss or do you want to get married and have some kids? Do you know what I mean? And and you'd you'd have to wrestle with, you know, oh, well, you probably have to do one or the other of those things and, and do it to its full capacity before you could come back to the, the content in there is I don't know, for me it's genuine and, and also tragic. But I mean I could see having had artistic aspirations, I can see being somebody like Diane and 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 having that be a struggle where you uh, are are you supposed to get anything out of the last five years of what she's done at Cheers maybe but maybe not for that particular book you know I don't I don't know you know I mean it's Diane who knows what it's about but I think I think you guys are both right and I I, I was sort of on the fence and you you convinced me and I guess the one other thing that you guys both kind of touched upon, Omar, we've talked about before, is what I jokingly refer to as the gravity well of Cheers, that everybody gets pulled down to that level. Like even Frazier and Lilith, to some degree, become high-functioning alcoholics at this bar. And and Rebecca, later on, will kind of get crushed under the weight. And Diane seems to be holding it at an arm's length for the longest time. But this feels like maybe like the last draw, like if she chooses this, like she kind of like becomes like, like an aspect of cheers. want to say sort of like defeats her um, because yeah, now, now that I'm thinking of kind of, it's less about having it all and sort of looking at um, the, the writing as a, as a professional standpoint and being able to have a professional career and family and balancing that. But the, the passion and the drive of this like artistic pursuit, something that you can't half ass, something that you have to throw everything in, um, which, yeah, uh, once, yeah, you guys helped me sort of reframe it that way. And I, I, I see it much more, much more like that. Um, getting back to the episode, then Sam, a- after kind of hearing this, because he's uh, underneath the pool table, trying to fix this thing. So we find out that he he kind of eavesdropped on their conversation. Sam might be then having a little bit of a crisis, even though it seems like the conflict isn't there for Diane. Uh, and that's something I'm not sure about, because it seems like Diane is, by the time Sumner leaves, she has made up her mind that she is willing to forfeit all of that for the domestic life with Sam. And maybe maybe because of his, what he what he says at the end about having his life as a pitcher, he kind of knows what she might be missing because it seems like he's the one who's really shaken up about it. And when he asks her about it, she is is very out out about it. And he says, maybe we should take a break. Let's postpone the wedding for six months. You can uh, write this book and everything like that, and it'll give me time to do something that I've always wanted to do. And she's like, well, what's that? And he's like, what, you mean you want me to tell you? Because he clearly hasn't even thought of something. And it's again, he's like, well, I'll I'll go visit the Orient. And she's like, you want to visit the Orient? He's like, well, you know how much I love Chinese food. 
Um, there's a, there's a great little uh, remark when she mentions that, you know, there, there's interest in publishing her book. She's like, it's very flattering and I'm not easily flattered. And Sam goes, I know that's one of the most remarkable things about you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sam. <laughs> um, and then she, to sort of, convince him that she's she doesn't want to back out she's like let's just get married now and that seems he's feeling even more cornered and he starts mm-hmm. to think maybe she wants to do this before she has a chance to second guess it um and this causes sam to sort of sit down in the chair and start thinking about it and yeah we get this this flash forward of what their life might be like in 50 years time um they're they've been a a couple for decades now because they have grandchildren. Sam mentions that he's got a grandson who's a player for the Red Sox. He's got a granddaughter named Samantha who's got a new boyfriend who has a doctorate in laser beam demolecularization. <laughs> um, and we get visits from Norman Cliff. And what what did you guys think about the, the practical makeup effects to make them look older? Not bad. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I started thinking about how it's conceivable that you know, they were projecting out in the future, like 40, 45 years, and we're now 35 years out. Uh, And it's, you know, when you think about the technology, you know, much more primitive back then, uh, I thought it was like extremely credible. Um, You you know, I thought they did, I mean, maybe Cliff was a little over, Cliff's was a little over the top, but I think everything else was like done pretty tastefully. And I think the actor's mannerisms, uh, were you know like supplemented it quite a bit. I know I didn't feel jarring at all. I mean that's usually I don't know in my experience what sells it is the actors you know and I I think all of them did good jobs with with what they were given you know like I I don't know I I, I have this weird love hate relationship with makeup because I I played Big Daddy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof and there were points where. I don't know some somebody was like oh well you're gonna be on stage and we need to make this really broad and 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 at one point they had this one makeup artist come in and by the end of it I was like and you can bleep this out if you need to but I was like by the end of it I was like I look like a fucking raccoon like what what is wrong with you know like I couldn't (laughs) I couldn't handle it I'm like and I I was like I'm not wearing this like I'll, I'll I'll I get what you're saying and I'll 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 do something refined, like a refined version of it, but I'm not basically I'm not going on stage with war paint, basically, like just <laughs> just to pull off looking old or whatever. Like I, you know, and it's like I think I think in this case, like that proves it here, where it's like the 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 stature, the way, you know, like like Sam basically never gets up. Do you know what I mean? Like, like and, right. and his little, his little squat, you know, like and everything. But the way... they, they actually joke about it, like he, that he can't get up. He keeps yeah, trying. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's trying to, but he can't, you know. And 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 then and then the way when when Cliff comes in, it's like this, this little shuffle or whatever, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like it's like all that stuff like works for you know what what they're trying to sell or whatever. And I love like in that sequence, like I think my favorite part is I I feel like it's a callback to the squishy opening. Because, like, I love that moment where it's like, you know, the phone rings. It's like, I'll get it. And Diane gets the phone and, and gives it to him. And it's like, no, Carla, I love her. Like, I don't know what the hell. You know, like, leave me alone. Like, stop stop giving me grief about this. Like, I just love her, all right? Like That, again, it. was one of you my know? runners up. That was almost and, my home run. That was and, so and, good. And that's, that's like, the best. Because it's like, 
it, it it's like funny because it's like you know you're you, you, they're slowly introducing like all the core people and they sort of mentioned woody so you know where he's up to or whatever but then you know you're like well where's carla and then it comes in that phone call and like that's <laughs> that, that's one of those things that's like I, I you know i don't know like like it, it's this kind of like fun idealized version of of old age i guess you know like i don't know like everything's everything's going according to Hoyle like you know it seems like they've had this happy you know fulfilled marriage or whatever but but the other thing that's weird is even in his own fantasy like you've got that weird you know uh uh you know for the man who has everything moment where where you can tell he's trying to rip himself out of that yeah by kind of going like are you sure like you don't have any regrets like are you right. sure you're not you, you don't regret that you you married me and didn't what about that book thing remember that book thing you know and it's like it, it, it's almost funny because in in some sense like th there's there's a weird sense that that it, i mean it, it's kind of like what you were saying before like she's in the pool hall and she kind of in her in her own way she kind of made up her own mind but i think i think he doesn't you know he he doesn't want to like basically this is his fantasy but what you don't see is may, maybe like there's a nightmare where she does blame him do you know what i mean and that's not what he I, wants to be like this yeah. something that was like an impediment to to her happiness or her I, her future I, I think that's i think that is an unspoken or unwritten line of dialogue that could have been added like later on when he's talking to her at the altar when he he's like She's like, I, I want to do this, and he's like, you might feel that way now, but tomorrow, mm -hmm. and like, and, and like the 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 implication is, if she starts to regret this, she likely resent him for it. Yeah, and, like, I, and I don't buy, I don't buy that. Like, she made her peace with it in that moment in the pool. I mean, I think what she, I think what she did was she buried that feeling, and I think part of the reason she was so intent on marrying Sam right then and there. And suggested that, the, you know, they got married that night or the next day in cheers or whatever was that like she was conscious of the doubt she was having and was you, so afraid you, of getting you think Sam, You think Sam's observation was correct that she was yeah. basically rushing into it so she wouldn't have time to second guess it. Yeah. And, and look, I, I'm not I can't sit here and prognosticate that like she would have of her own volition called off the wedding like, you know, if he hadn't said anything. But I do think that even if she had gone through with it, and there's a decent chance she would have, like, she absolutely would have had second thoughts afterward, and it just would have would have manifested itself quite quickly. Like, I never, I never bought into the idea that she was okay with it. I think she had just decided to sort of temporarily submerge that desire. Um, but I, I think Sam is not only a good and benevolent person, but also someone who, for all of his faults, is like an expert in the human condition. And could see that, like, that would at some point, you know, rear its head. And whether it's manifesting itself in, like, this long, drawn-out, I made a mistake and I'm leaving, or whether it manifests itself in the kind of resentment that leads to, like, a good marriage becoming mediocre, becoming terrible. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, think, I think it's just as plausible that she was just like, okay, no, not going to think about this anymore. You know what? Let's get married. Let's get married. I don't want to deal with this. Let's get married. I don't want to have to think about this. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I see that. Um, 
Uh, so they decide to get married that night and they're going to get married at Cheers. And she has this whole monologue about how all of their friends who have witnessed the highs and lows of their relationship for the last couple of years, all of the turmoil can, can finally witness their ultimate happiness right there where they first met. And he's like, why don't we do it at the house? She's like, I don't want them in my house. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want those people in our house. I don't want those people in my <laughs> those house. <people. laughs> So we go back to Cheers and everybody is getting ready and um, another like wonderful little gag. So they start taking bets on whether or not they're going to go through with it. And, and Frazier makes a comment. He's like, I, I'm convinced the woman is incapable of saying the words I do. <laughs> um, so they, Norm, Cliff, and, and Frazier start betting on whether or not they're going to get married. And you just see the rest of the bar, everybody in the background, all these supporting characters, just start like extras, just start like tossing, like, like taking out cash and making like bets on the side and everything like that. And wonderful. And then Sam comes in. Norm basically tells him to run to get out of there, his last chance. And then Diane comes out of the office and they play the wedding, the wedding march. And Carla just starts blubbering. She's wearing black. <laughs> it looks like she's at a funeral dirge. Uh, and she's just like very loudly sobbing as Diane is walking to the the wedding march. And perfect. And then uh, the Justice of the Peace comes in, like, I understand this has been a long time coming, so let's just kind of, like, do the the uh, abbreviated version. He asks Sam if he's ready to marry her, and Sam says, I do. And at that point, the phone rings, and Woody picks it up. He's like, Miss Chambers, it's for you. She's like, I'm kind of in the middle of something. So Woody's like, okay, I'll take a message. And, oh, my God, it, like, Woody Harrelson in this moment. <laughs> he's, mm. just, he's just listening to the phone. Like, the the... Cheers was just masterful at one-sided conversations on the phone. Like going back to the beginning, like like Coach was brilliant at this. Like Sam when he's talking to Carla, like in in his flash forward was great at this. And and Woody just going, "Oh my God, that's that's unbelievable. That's great. Thank you so much." And he just hangs up, and everybody's just looking at him because his response was so big. And he's just like, "Go ahead, <laughs> I'll I'll tell you later, whatever." And they're like, no, what what was it? He's like, they're going to publish Miss Chambers' novel. They're going to give her a big advance. And she's flustered. And you kind of see like this moment where she's lost. She's no longer there at the bar because the the justice of peace like ask her. And she's like, wait, what? What? Oh, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But like the fact that, you know, she she wasn't ready for the question. Like she's, and, and I think Sam notices that moment, that hesitation, that lot that he's just like, yeah. So before the, uh, the, um, the JP says, he's like, I now pronounce you. Sam's like, hang on, hang on. I want to change my answer. And at that point, money just starts changing hands between yeah. Norman Cliff and Frazier and everybody in the background. And he starts telling her that like, no, no, you got to go write this book. We can't do this. And she's like, no, 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 no. I'm serious. I'm, I'm ready. We're making the right decision. So they start up the ceremony again. The money starts changing back again. <laughs> and, and he calls it off again. And that's when Sam, he get, he does go through this this whole little monologue, and what what does he say? You're bad at ballet. You're terrible at acting. You can't draw worth a lick. You're bad at poetry, photography, cinema, omelets. He's like, I mean, they're going to have to start inventing things for you to be bad at. And, and like Diane, just getting colder and colder. She's like, make your point, Sam. She's like, if this was meant to make me feel better, you're you're not doing it right. 
you know, you need to take your shot. Like, this is important. Writing is like the one thing that you're really good at. We've always known that. And this is something you need to pursue. And he's like, when he thinks about it, is he saying like, yeah, I had my shot. And he goes, I may not have been the greatest relief pitcher in the world. <laughs> as if he was fishing for it. Steve, like the tertiary butterfly. Like, yeah, you were, Sammy. And Sam's like, thank you. He's like, thank you. Thank just, you. Out of nowhere. I just love that moment. And he's like, do you, like at that point, he kind of, he's convinced her, he's like, do you agree that we shouldn't get married? And she says the words, I do. And at that point, they've called it off. Um, and everybody kind of congratulates them on not going through with it. Um, and then we'll, we'll come back to, we get, because we're going to have like the epilogue when it's just the two of them. But I did notice that Diane doesn't have a farewell scene with the rest of the cast. And she has had it in a sense in previous episodes, like at the end of season three, when she was going off to Europe with Frasier, she had her big farewells with like all of the other characters really. Mm. Um, but in this episode, which is her, her finale, her, her send off. And she knew that it's all her and Sam and she doesn't have a moment with Frasier. She doesn't have a moment with Carla. Um, and I don't know. Did, did you uh, did you guys notice anything like that? Did you feel like there was a, a lack of more of a grander send off for her? Or it wasn't surprising to me for a couple of reasons. One being that you know I, I think that it, it had been pretty well established by that point that there were obviously not great feelings between Shelley Long and the majority of the cast. I don't think mm. there was like outright hostility, but I think there definitely were just like camps. Um, and and I, I think that. For the purposes of getting the story out in this episode and being faithful to the story, which is still her and Sam, um, it would have been. I think. I think they would. It would have been the better part of Valor to just kind of consider any other scenes uh, of meaningful consequence with anyone else to be kind of left on the cutting room floor or even like not not written. And the other thing I would say is this was obviously done pre-internet and, you know, the trades were not quite as gossipy uh, back then as they are now. And so at that point, like there was in the spring of 1987 and April and May around like the sweeps weeks that like this finale was airing, there were certainly like chatter that like something might happen in terms of like Shelley Long leaving, but there was nothing officially announced. There was nothing, you know, they were keeping it under wraps with the media. They were doing a pretty good job so much so that they like shot two different endings to that episode. Um, They shot uh, an ending of the episode where they went through with the wedding. Um, Now I, I don't know whether that was because they were like doing negotiations to let her out of their contract at like the let up right up to the last minute. And they wanted to have something in the can just in case, or because they wanted to throw the media and the, the public and the studio audience like off the scent. Um, but like, so it's, it's, it's very, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that like her final moments were quiet and with Ted Danson um, and, and sort of far away from like everything else for both, again, for reasons having to do with like, creatively being true to the character, but also, you know, to stay away from the noise and the inevitable like speculation that could happen as a result of, of scenes like along those lines. If if you go with the story, the story is, uh, you know, and, and I, I imagine that's communicated to the bar patrons or whatever throughout the course of the episode, whether, you know, whether she's saying it just to Sam or not, but she says, silly, I'm going to be back in six months. Like I'm only going away 
for six months. Like, so why, why then does she need to say goodbye to the entire cast if she's going to be back in a little while? And, and I think, I don't know, for me, it kind of takes away from, from Sam Malone's fan aura if he's not the only one that figures it out. You know what I mean? Like, like he, he, he's the one that kind of, you know, has the moment, right? And, and I think mm-hmm. that's earned. Like he deserves that. Like, I, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for her to go around to the entire cast and go, it's okay, Norm, I'll be back in six months. And then yeah. it's okay, Clifford, I'll be back in six months. And then right. finally end it on Sam and go, I'll be back in six months. And Sam to go, all right, like, have a good yeah. one. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't that doesn't work. Like no, like, I, at all, right? I agree. Like, so. I agree for the for the narrative, at least the the plausibility of like what at least what she believes at the time or what she's voicing, whether she believes it or not, is that this is just a temporary thing. And and like I said, when she left with Fraser, she kind of did have her farewells. That was ostensibly her leaving to go get married and and go off with her her new boyfriend. And she probably felt like she was never going to see them again. So yeah, so I I, I get that for like the in in the show and like in within the what may, what makes sense for the story in context i was going to mention for one of the trivia things um it's a little known fact um let, yeah the filmmakers did shoot multiple endings for this episode according to imdb and this might be apocryphal there was actually three endings considered i don't know if they were if they shot three or they wrote three, but there was the one that actually aired with her leaving uh, one with them getting married. And then again, according to IMDB, there was a third possible ending that hasn't been revealed by the creators. So I don't know where that story came from or, or what, what that's about. Um, if that's something that like the, the writers mentioned that they, they had. Another... Well, I can imagine that it ended that that storyline probably took the Sam and Diane story to the only plausible conclusion, murder, suicide, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can't, you can't see the murder suicide yeah. on YouTube, but you can, you can see the, uh, do you want to marry me? I do. Do you want to marry me? I do. All right. You're married. You know, like that's, that's basically or... how, how the, the alternating went. Yeah. Or, or as uh, me and Isabel t- talked about in the, the previous episode, um, Diane wakes up at the institution that she, when she was being treated by Frazier. And we will find out that all of seasons four and five were, were a dream, a fever dream. <laughs> so, yeah. So then we get the, we, we do get this epilogue uh, after the, 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 the non-ceremony ends. And it's just the two of them. And this is one of those things where... I, I, I love the poignancy of this moment, but it, the problem of having lived with this show and scrutinizing it to such a degree for the podcast, this is one of those things where now I can't separate this idea from my head. Whereas if I, like, prior to this, I could always just enjoy the moment as it is. But the fact that this scene is set in Cheers works because it's a TV show, Cheers. But at this point, the characters have bought a house. Like, like, like she wouldn't just leave the bar and never see him again. She would have gone home. They would have been packing together. He probably, he could have driven her there or something like that. Like, this really feels like this is a finale from a different stage of their relationship. Um, And I I just, like, Mm. that's something that now is, like, just forever going to be a little bit bothersome. Can I, can can I no prize it for you? Sure, go ahead. So... I, I I mean this is and this this is just this, this is kind of going 
fast forwarding to to my future but another influence this had on me that i i really i don't even know if i had any idea it had this influence on me but that moment you know the the have a good life moment and and she argues with him but he's resolved like once she walks up those stairs he tells her have a good life yeah. like that's not her decision that's his decision like and so like for me like i guess I was in a production of uh, Lanford Wilson's Burn This, and I was trying to figure out, like, technically that play was on Off-Broadway about five months before this episode aired. Um, And there's a scene in it, because I played Burton, so I remember the line, obviously. And he's not saying it to the love of his life or anything, but he's leaving the apartment of the love of his life, and he's talking to the roommate. And by the end of it, he tells him, have a good life. And the reason why he's telling him that, at least from someone who's acted the role and can say how I sort of decided to interpret it, like the reason why he's telling him this is because he knows he's never coming back to that place ever again. And I mean, uh, to to me, if you think about it, he sold, I mean, I, I know we're getting ahead, right? But I mean, what, he sold Cheers, he went yep. sailing, like, what uh, to me my no prize for that is the the minute he says have a good life he knows what's going on i don't think he goes back to that house you know what i mean like i don't i don't think i don't i don't i mean i i think ironically as much as cheers is supposed to mean to him i think at that moment that that's why he does what he does i mean that's that that's why he sells the bar that's why the whole series kind of upends itself because that that's something where he had to completely, you know, for lack of a better term, divorce himself from the scenario. Yeah, I mean, he it, said he says as much in in the, the next season. Yeah, yeah, you know, and 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 so th- I mean, I don't know, you know, maybe 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 I'm just too enamored with the the last scene or whatever because I I do love that last scene, but it's but, it's beautiful. But, yeah, it's but, a great. But scene. for but for my no prize, I mean, my no prize is, I mean, I, I don't I don't think he went back to that. Omar, what do you think? The situational logistical aspect of it, like, yes, you are technically right. I think the dramatic stakes of what has just happened um, kind of make that a little less relevant for me um, because it is such a knockout. Um, It is such a scene like brimming with emotion. Like they, it would have felt, I understand what you're saying that it's a, it's a logical weird point and a weird, strange shortcut, but like it would have felt unearned if they had that exchange at their house and it's not even their house. I mean, like they bought it like the episode before or two episodes before, right? Like they're not settled into it yet. It's not a thing. Like it's not as lived in as cheers is like, cheers actually, is they- actually that's, that's a good point. Cause I, I was paying closer attention to it in the scene when he comes back and he, they, when they're talking in the present time, like their living room ha- hardly has any decorations. They've got their furniture, but like the shelves don't have anything. When he flashes to the future, it's decorated completely different. It's full of pictures and memory. And like, it looks like a house somebody has lived in for 50 or 60 years. But in that first scene, like, yeah, like you're right. Like they, it does not look like they have been there for a while. And they're not established. Yeah. And like, what, what is, I mean, it's, it's the last episode, right? It's the episode right before this Yeah, it was the one, one just before this. Like, and, and what is, and like what is the title of that week. episode? And what is the title of that episode? A house, a house is not a home. Not a home. Yeah. And, and so like, it would have felt to me, sort of like cheap and unearned like no they had earned the right to have that goodbye 
in the ridiculous bar where their ridiculous relationship began. Like it would have felt completely, you know, sort of <laughs> off kilter and false if it had been anywhere else, even, you know, even if it would have been more, you know, logical or convenient um, from, from like a plot point. So as, no, as, that, Ro- as Robin Colcourt eventually says, everyone else goes to their homes. You people come to this bar. Yeah. Like, and I, I think that's right. So, and, and, you know, yeah, and even if that wasn't the case, even if that wasn't the case, even if the bar wasn't the place that held the most potent symbolism for those two characters and the show writ large, um, and even if it would have made just as much creative and dramatic weight to, you know, to have it like at a house, at the house that they were living in, like the power of the scene to me makes that other issue like less relevant. Like this is the best of both of them. This is the two of them in like this quiet, dramatic moment. This is something that is you don't get in Cheers. At least you don't get very often. This is, you know, this is the best scene to me, like the best, most powerful, most important. You could do the the last scene with, you know, in the in the, the, the series finale with all of them sitting around. And when Sam poignantly says it's, you know, the bar is closed at the end. But like, oh, boy, like. This was a knockout. This was, you know, this was two people, two characters, two actors, you know, had, who had just given everything, who had made us sort of made us laugh and made us cry and sort of made us wince and cringe. And like they had nothing left to give, you know, at that point. And so so like, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying from a logical standpoint. But like this is that scene is as good as it gets, folks, like in terms of like the the understated quality of the writing. And the fact that like the actors like sell it, there's nothing left to say. There's nothing left to be said for them. I can't help but compare this to another one of my favorite episodes, which is the season two finale, which is their breakup, um, which is so nasty, so heated, so violent. They actually are slapping each other at one point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because talk about not Sam, aging well. Yeah. <laughs> and because Sam has feels that she has betrayed him by getting this painting done by for these stupid sort of forced reasons. Um, but just the, the emotional and the intensity of that scene. Um, I, I love that episode just because of how insanely like, like, like volatile that breakup seems to be. And when I look at that one, what was the fallout of her walking up those steps and him seeing her walk up the steps and not seeing that she almost comes back at one point and he could have gone back and they could have salvaged something, but she goes up there and he, he watches her leave and what was the fallout from that? Sam started drinking again. Um, he, he, he relapsed or whatever. She ends up committing herself to a, a facility. Um, but, you know, that her leaving him broke him in a, in a really profound way. And this time he's encouraging her to leave and he, he's sending yep. her off again yep. with his blessing. And, and, Derek, I think I think you're right when he says "have a good life." I think you could make the case that he's talking to either one of them or both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's just as much for himself as it is for her. Um, but we will also find out, like in the the next season, that her departure shook him again to the foundation where he couldn't stay in the bar right. for a long time. Like he he says, it, like he was afraid, like like at, at, like every everything in the bar reminded him of her and he couldn't look at it anymore, uh, which is where, where he'll go. So like, yeah, the two times when she walks up those stairs out of his life, it's so devastating for no, him it is. on these important but levels. The contrast but, you bring up is really effective, but I will say like, to your point, I, 
regardless of what happens in the next episode and you know in the next season and subsequent seasons like the the power of the performances and the journey they had taken to get to this stage like versus the end of season two which you rightly point out is like a really pivotal emotional moment that breaks him even though like he goes on you know a journey a metaphorical and literal literal journey after this like this scene showed me that sam was going to be okay like the fact that he brought them to this point and he let go and it wasn't done through manipulation and it wasn't done out of anger and it wasn't done rashly but it was done with sort of the 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 full knowledge of who these people were fundamentally and what they needed to be whole and especially what she needed to be whole it was selfless it was the most selfless thing he could do like you know the sam from season two i don't know that he you know at first glance would have done that because he was still so like raw and angry so to me when i saw this you're right that's a very effective contrast but to me whereas in season two there was so much hurt and so much pain at the end that it's not a big intuitive leap to find out that he fell off the wagon at the beginning of season three this time i was like oh it's gonna be okay i don't know how quite quite how it's gonna work out but i know that he's going to be okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I'm teasing. I'm teasing a bit for when we get to the the episode MVPs for being Shelley Long's finale. I really wanted to give her the the Employee of the Week award, mm. but this was Ted Danson's episode. I mean, she she says goodbye, but it's all about him kind of recognizing the tragedy of uh, the tragic mistake of if they get married at this point in time and what she has to do and what he ultimately has to give up and sacrifice because he has to be the one to push her away. Um, yeah. Um, any other big kind of closing thoughts on the episode, Derek? Just that I'm I'm happy you gave me the opportunity to come on the show. It's again, to me, it's like I said, to me, this episode's very personal to me. Like I think it it, it sort of touches me in a way where it has a universal resonance in the sense that like whether it reminds me of something from my past or something that happened sort of, you know, way down the road or whatever. I I think it's a constant reminder of that, uh, you know, when you're a human being, right. That uh, goodbyes are part of your existence. And I, I think this again, you know, again, I'm, I'm that scary person that learned things from Cheers, but, but I, I think that was, this was one of my first encounters with a, you know, with sort of a profound, uh, you know, uh, soul crushing goodbye, you know, like, and it's like, that's why, that, that's why this, this is kind of emblazoned in my, in my memory in grams, right? Like, because it's not, it's not going anywhere. And I, I think, in fact, what it does is it kind of, you know, uh, you know, makes me relive certain things maybe i shouldn't be reliving but i mean the fact that you still have um emotional feelings about those things is not uh, anything uh to be embarrassed about or ashamed about but but it's it's one of those things that like i'm i'm glad i can sort of uh, I don't know. I, I I guess maybe I'm 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 old enough where I can look back at some of those things and and look back at certain things with rose colored glasses or whatever and just kind of go, oh well, it's 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 nice to sort of revisit things, you know, whether it's the TV episode or 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 things that it sort of uh, you know makes you think of from your past. And so I I kind of I it's weird because I was kind of you know part part of me was kind of dreading this, but then part of me also is like pleased that. I, I sort of am able to sort of uh, make it through and, and kind of like um, Omar was saying, like, like 
uh, I'm going to be fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's like that, that kind of reassurance that you have, especially from, from Sam at the end. I mean, it's sad. It, it holds its weight with you, but also like there is that, that kind of, uh, confidence, you know, that, that things are going to be okay. There's, you, you guys both talked about it a little bit or touched on like the, the, dramatic effect of this episode in particular and how I'm not sure going forward if we're going to have another episode that kind of reaches the the dramatic heights of this one. You won't. Um, you won't. You'll have <laughs> scenes, you'll have moments, but you yeah. won't. Not not in as elongated right. a fashion, not as right. stretched out. But but in terms of like, I mean, for, for Cheers being one of the smartest and I, I believe one of the all-time just funniest shows consistently, um, some of the episodes that I that I remember the most fondly are more dramatic episodes and in the first season there's the one that's all about sam's alcoholism um when he gives up his his um his lucky bottle cap or whatever and he almost drinks like in in he almost goes back he almost slips up in front of diane um and that is a very poignant like uh dramatic episode that i remember um another one like the way the way Derek talks about this episode, I think about the episode Coach Barry's a Grudge, um, when Coach has to give the eulogy for this guy he thought was his best friend who ended up betraying him when he finds out. And the eulogy that he ends up giving is both heartbreaking and hysterical at the same time. And uh, yeah, that one just, again, not necessarily as, as it's funny, but more dramatic. Uh, yeah, it's a testament to the greatness of the show that when it deviated from the expected comedy it could deliver drama based on these performances in these characters that could still knock you on your ass um omar some last thoughts before we get into the superlative categories if it's okay um i'll save my last thoughts for my mvp pick uh okay. because i think it encapsulates how i feel about this episode in the last five years of a great show okay um for norm's tab he only had two beers this episode which brings him up to 484 for the series um (laughs) pretty consistently he's been just under 100 every year we'll see if he ever you're not adjusting for inflation anymore ryan (laughs) sadly no Um, be off the charts if you did it now Right, right. Um, for the employee of the week, um, I, I I very nearly gave it to Sumner just for his brief little <laughs> appearance, his cameo. He's so good. Um, but I, I've already kind of hinted. I wanted to give it to Diane because it was her send off, but I do believe this was Sam's episode in every way. Omar, what do you think? The, the way I'm super annoying with these kinds of votes is, you know, there are people who give it to the actor or character that is most deserving, and I usually do that. But just like in sports, there are sometimes those occasions when uh, you throw the rules out and you give and the, the MVP or employee of the week award becomes essentially the lifetime achievement award, whether mm-hmm. it's for someone who's never won it, uh, but has always come close or someone who has won it before. But like the arc of their career is such as they step down that you have to give it to them. Uh, you are correct, Ryan, essentially that this is Ted Danson's episode. This is Sam's episode. He does the heavy lifting uh, he carries the emotional uh, and comedic weight. In a normal circumstance, he would be the employee of the week. Uh, it is not a normal circumstance. Um, you know, Shelley Long saved this show, as I said earlier. Like, it was going to be canceled. It was one of the only things that kept it afloat was the the critical and industry appreciation of the work she was doing. 
Um, you know, I've been on record in this podcast before comparing her work on the, in these five years to, you know, seminal stuff by Lucille Ball and Mary Tyler Moore. And I still, I feel that even more now, uh, the more I subsequently watch these shows, it is, there's nothing earth shatteringly original about the archetype she played, but it still felt groundbreaking and it still feels like a template that a lot of other characters and a lot of other sitcoms have been chasing for the last 40 years. Some have come close, but they never quite got it right. Um, and it's a testament to her. And for all the talk about sort of the, the creative and interpersonal chilliness, I don't think there was ever hostility outright, but I, you know, there was certainly a, a separation, a big wall between her and the rest of the cast. Ted Danson on multiple times, on multiple occasions, has been very upfront in recent years about the fact that like they would not have, have gotten a second season. They would not have been on the air um, after that first year, if it were not for the work that she did. Um, I think she is sublime. Uh, I think she was incredible. I think the writers rewarded her uh, handsomely, you know, in a creative sense. I think she was directed within an inch of her life. Um, to, you know, people can quibble about whether it was the right decision for her to leave. I leave that to her, but like from a creative standpoint, it was the right time to leave. But like, man, like, did I miss her? Uh, the show would go on to be as good. Maybe sometimes it was better, sometimes not as good, but it was never the same. Um, and maybe it had to do that to stay creatively charged. Um, but she was like a singular presence as a performer, as a character. To me, all these years later, she, you know, some total, the, you know, the best part of that show. I mean, I, I, you can, Sam is too, obviously, but like the work that she did, uh, I think unparalleled. Uh, and so like hats off to her, like five really unparalleled years, like wonderful, wonderful, wonderful work. And like, we were all very lucky to be able to, uh, have like a hundred plus episodes of it. I, that That is hard to argue. I, I like your reasoning for that one. Uh, Derek, what'd you think? Who was your MVP or the employee of the week? I mean, employee of the week, if I really wanted to give props to somebody, it'd probably be that poor justice of the peace. Cause man, <laughs> like he's it, imagine being that guy and getting invited there in the middle of the night and then, and then hearing <laughs> how, how, how long the relationship has been coming. And then, and then, he's the one seeing all the money exchanging as they're talking <laughs> like that must have been like just whoa um but but yeah i i mean as far as like just a serious answer i mean i i, I think i i feel like i want to give the mvp to both right because because i i don't think I, I i i think you both convinced me right because i i i feel strongly obviously i'm a male i resonate with sam like the the episode has emotional resonance with me i love you know the end sequence and and everything that it means to me but i don't think you get that without i mean i think everything omar said is is incredibly relevant and valid i don't think you get to that point without shelly long saying i'm only going to be gone for six months you know, like, like you, you, it doesn't mean the same thing without her, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Can I, can I, can I split it? Can I, I'm just, I'm giving it to both of them. Cause you, Hey, I, I broke think, the rules with my MVP vote. Yeah, you can break the yeah. rules for yours. Yeah. It's a special I episode. I mean, we'll, I mean, we'll I mean they're, 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 they're both, I, I feel like they're both incredibly uh, relevant at both uh, MVPs to this episode. Cause it doesn't, if, if you take one of them out of the equation, it doesn't work. And and can I also quickly say uh, to an earlier point uh, Derek was making about uh, his visit to the Fraser set. Obviously, this is, episode is the last time 
we're fully engaged with Diane on her own terms as a character. Um, you know, obviously there's business with the series finale and you'll talk about that at length and I'm sure you'll do it well. But to the extent we talk about her in the series finale, my opinion is always that, that, you know, she's there as mainly a plot device for Sam and it's fine. It's wonderful to see her again, blah, blah, blah. But like she is there in a very like limited, very narrowly tailored context. Um, but I want to give a quick shout out to uh, her brief appearances uh, as Diane on Frasier, where she she made appeared multiple times. Uh, I think four different episodes, um, two in like very quick cameos um, in, in season one and season eight of that show or season nine of that show. But w- another cameo, a two parter, like very, uh, very effective uh, where she comes back to make peace with Frazier and give him an opportunity to sort of, because they always dance around in Cheers um, after she and Frazier break up around sort of the unresolved trauma that he had, the PTSD after their breakup. And, you know, she she gamely plays the character again and gives her and Kelsey Grammer an opportunity to sort of mend fences, both as actors, because they had a rough go at it while they were shooting Cheers, but also like to give Frazier an opportunity for closure. And it's really, I would really recommend uh viewers or listeners of the podcast uh who might might or might not be fans of Frasier to check out uh those episodes particularly the ones uh the one in in season three uh where where Diane comes back uh yeah uh Derek what was your home run or your the the funniest moment in the show or well actually I usually say that but it could just it could be the most dramatic moment or what did you think was the highlight of the episode well I mean for for funny it's got to go to squishy. Um, <laughs> but, but for, for, for my, my home run, I guess, I mean, you know, have a good life is my home run, mm. you know, and, and, and it's the second have a good life is right. my home run, you know, like that's that, that kind of, you know, it hits me in the feels. It, uh, yeah. it does what it's supposed to do. Like that's, that's the, the, the home run of the episode for me. But I mean, as far as like funny stuff though, I mean, squishy, squishy mm. is, is uh, what works for me for the funny part. I think I think there are other moments in this that that made me laugh as well. You know, the phone call. You know, uh, I love her, all right. You know, like all that <laughs> kind of stuff. You know, like so. But uh, but I, I think I like Squishy the best. Omar, what do you think? Uh, second runner up is uh, the second have a good life, as Derek so eloquently describes it. Uh, the 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 first runner up is carla wailing throughout the <laughs> wedding just beautiful just beautiful rhea perlman work um, and, it, <laughs> and and just the, the i think the best moment and, and the one that showed the most you know growth for sam was the the mini soliloquy in the house where he challenges diane to like take her shot yeah. i can't remember again whether that was in the house or in the barn that, that was the wedding. Bar. Like, that was the yeah, yeah okay where he challenges diane to take her shot i mean that is I don't see season one, Sam. I don't see season two, Sam doing that. And the fact that he did that again, it is both an awareness of both out of a protective instinct for himself. Um, also uh, out of an awareness of like human nature and also, and how she is, but also the core selflessness and menschiness that makes us love Sam alone. Yeah, I agree with Derek. I, th- I think the highlight is that have a good life at the very end and the hold the freeze frame on, on his face as he's looking up at her 
Um, and but then yeah, like I had like all of these runners up that were just kind of like following it. Carla crying during the wedding march was part of it. Uh, Sam shouting at Carla on the phone. He's like, I don't know why, Carla. I just love her. Now will you let it go, please? <laughs> um, the exchange of money kind of going back and forth like several times during the wedding as they keep on like, will they or won't they? Literally getting it. The will they or won't they say I do as as people are betting bets on it. And then the the last one is just Sumner calling the guys Barney. Wally and Ed. Just <laughs> that last part. Gosh, yeah. Um, I, I I can't believe we've gotten to this point. I can't believe I haven't canceled the podcast yet. Hey, yeah, I, I folks. told you, man. I told you. I didn't think this. Was <laughs> yeah, the you, you never really thought I would get this far. <laughs> Ryan, I knew all along. I knew when we first started becoming friends in the fall of 1998. Someday I'm going to be on this person's Cheers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was all there from the beginning yeah yeah um but folks listening i mean we're we're pretty much halfway through the show i mean as much as five uh five uh, five out of eleven um it, like if we split season six down in the middle it would be halfway but we are done with the first chunk the sam and diane years the i mean Sam and Diane is is like a shorthand in TV speak and comedy speak and everything like that. Like what what those yeah. characters became. Um, but we are moving into a new phase, the the Rebecca years, and I am really excited. I mean, in as much as I love Sam and Diane, and I, I have had a ball just revisiting all of these episodes and overly scrutinizing this relationship and and having a new amazing appreciation for Shelley Long and also Ted Danson and everybody's work on this. I'm really excited because, you know, like, like, as I was saying, like, I was just watching this season with my family and I, I felt like I was just kind of be, just really too young, but like just barely old enough to kind of be following along and, and, and seeing where this was going. But I really feel like she, like season six in the Rebecca years was where I locked in and Cheers became one of my favorite shows where it has always stayed. Um, and I think, you know, we, we will never have some of the, as Omar says, we might never have some of the dramatic highs that we've had uh, with the Sam and Diane relationship. But I think we are heading towards some phenomenal heights of comedy in the next couple of seasons um, with the character of Rebecca and with other characters who we will be introducing. Uh, Kelly, Henri, Robin Colcord, John Allen Hill, so many places for this show to go. Uh, I am really excited. Uh, if you're listening to this episode when I hope it's coming out, it is almost Halloween. I'm going to take my usual week off and then I'll come back in two weeks to do a listener feedback episode, uh, collecting everybody's thoughts on the second half of season five. And then I'm really hoping, I always promise to come back earlier than I end up doing, but I'm hoping that I will be back with season six in January of next year, folks. Uh, hopefully I can get get that too, because I'm excited to, to start the next phase of the show. Uh, so I don't want to take too much of a break. Um, Omar, thank you as always for being on the show. You've, uh, you've been, you know, almost, I, I want to say my ride or die companion. You have been here since the pilot episode. Um, love having you on. And I'm, I, I look forward to the next time that you're on the podcast. Derek, uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and, and sharing how personal this episode was for you. Uh, Derek, where else can uh, listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? If anybody wants to check out some Fanholes podcast, you can go over to the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. We usually have weekly content. If if you are listening to this around Halloween, we should be doing some Fanholes Fright Fest stuff. So all kinds of like spooky 
Halloween themed stuff. And if you enjoy the chronological history of comic books on film, uh, you can go over to YouTube and check out the history of comics on film. Or uh, for some of the videos that got booted off of YouTube, you can go over to the hocof.blogspot.com. Omar, any other last words? You know, just for this, the sake of parallel structure, you can find me at O at O U D D I N on Twitter. Uh, have issues with medical malpractice or uh, getting a divorce? Contact me. Uh, I am Ryan's <laughs> attorney at law. I can be yours too. Uh, I also will uh, pop up and make the occasional appearance, not only on Cheerscast, but on Ryan's uh, Long Dormant, but hopefully coming back at some point, uh, Star Wars podcast, um, as well as the Film and Water podcast uh pod dylan uh don't forget to vote this november uh we we listeners might hear us soon on a, a film and water with rob kelly at some point in the near future unless it's already been out by the time you hear this episode yeah star wars well we'll see how much i like andor we'll figure that one out but um uh, that's a discussion for another time again thanks both of you for being my guests on this episode and thanks to all of you out there who listen to cheers cast and support the show by liking and sharing on social media and leaving comments on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com you can also support the fire and water podcast network on patreon special thanks to ashford from the right on podcast network and rick from jeff and rick presents who sponsor the show go to patreon.com slash fw podcast to support your favorite show on the fire and water network thanks everyone for listening and until next time i'll be back in six months sam i'm going away for six months that's all so no more of this have a good life stuff you never know you you could die i could die the world could end one of us could bump our heads and uh, wander the streets for the rest of our life with amnesia or maybe one of us will decide they want something else. None of those things will happen. I'll be back here. I will. I'll see you in six months. Okay? Okay. Okay. Have a good life.